pursuing us in our hearts, burning out the things that do not need to be there. So we talk about the consuming fire of God. We say move, fresh wind, fresh fire. So we know that anything that holds us back from Him, we want it burn out. And that perfect love cast out all fear. In the presence of this fullness of joy. So Hebrews chapter 5 verse 13 again. For every spiritual infant who lives on milk is not yet pierced by the revelation of righteousness. Dr. Simmons in his footnotes, he says that word is unpierced. It's an inexperience. Um, they are unversed in this manifestation of righteousness. All right. And so we said earlier, when I said that about Rachel, I said this week, and is she in that spot? Is she saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus? That renewed mind got her to a place where the enemy could not. He was penetrating her body, but he could not reach the mind. Where the mind is that powerful tool, but it is not the master. And we had to make sure we bring it under submission of the master. And so that is a manifestation of righteousness because if she didn't believe who she was and who he was and what he's placed in her, she wouldn't be sitting there with believing that there's power to overcome. You see what I'm saying? And so that was a victory moment. That was a victory moment to be able to be here. First thing, Armani came up to me this morning and said, Look, Miss Rachel is here this morning. So that's answered prayer for our money, right? And she sees every time that I pray, God, what? Answers. Right? And so for my children to see that, for my children to stop everything they were doing yesterday and just each one pray for Layla. And each one see the testimony that, hey, we're getting to go home. Right? One after another seemed like attack, but one after another seemed like we got a victory. Amen. Amen. Believing for victory on the second row this morning. Believing for victory every time. Because God is good. And so this manifestation of righteousness is established on the earth because we find out who we really are and who He really is. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 6... Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. The Beatitudes is that chapter. But Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, how enriched you are when you crave righteousness, for you will be satisfied. Some of your verses say, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Not maybe, but shall be filled to the overflow. Right? It's an overflowing. It's tied to that rivers of living water from within you are flowing, begin to flow out of you. And how does that happen? It's a hungering and a thirsting for righteousness. It's not a hunger and a thirsting that I've become and strive to do right. Because these are not the do attitudes in chapter 5. It is the be attitudes in chapter 5, which means you become who you be. Who you be. I know that's not correct grammar. But it's correct spiritual life. 
It's who you be. And so you become who you already are, who He's already established you to be, and you hunger and you thirst after it. We can't crave something unless it is already existing. Let me say that again. We can't crave something that doesn't already exist. Like some of us in this room will say, well, i got a sweet tooth. Right? What does that mean? i got a craving for what? Something sweet. It means we've tasted it and we want it again. Right? And here he is. Compared to the woman at the well, he says, woman, you're here and you want this water, this living, this water, but I got living water if you'll drink of my water. Where is this, right? And what he's talking to is something spiritual inside of you. It's already been placed inside of you. Scripture says eternity has already been placed in you, which means time and space does not exist inside you. Eternity, it already exists, meaning He already spoke over you the what He wanted you to do when you came to this earth. He already spoke it over you. He sent you into your mother's womb, and then He formed and He fashioned you to do the thing that He has for you established on this earth. And we got to come into a line that we got to quit playing games, got to quit playing church. It's not about church. It's not about trying to get the numbers here. It's not trying to do any of that kind of stuff. It's just simply trying to get into that place. And I'm not saying trying. Let's say let's use better words. Coming to a place where we are surrendered into a place of hungering after what He's already established. See, righteousness has already been established. And He's already placed it inside of you. And you can't get any more righteous than you already are right now. You can become more aware of it. And how we become more aware of it is begin to hunger and thirst after it. What has already been established. You see what I'm saying? Like, if I had that sweet tooth that I'm talking about, that means I'm going to the candy jar where it already exists because I already got this hunger based off something that already exists. And we get into a place of hungering and thirsting after righteousness because it already exists in us, we just got to crave for it more so that we become renewed in our minds more so then we become who we are actually supposed to be more. One of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, he says this, and I've quoted this many times, but I want to just quote it one more time. We are half-hearted creatures. Think about that. Half-hearted. Like, we'll go, we'll play games. And when I say play games, we'll go to church get our feel, and then we're off about our lifestyle throughout the week, right? Got our check mark, so to speak. Maybe even come and, you know, lift our hands a little bit and got our worship on. Man, that's a good word, pastor. Get a couple of those in there. And the rest of the week, we're still struggling and fighting and don't know how we're going to make it through the rest of the day. Why? We're half-hearted creatures. Paul describes that we look in the mirror and forget who we are when we walk away. Right? We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink, sex, ambition, with infinite joy, when infinite joy is offered to us. I want this over here. And it'll excite us for a little bit. Want this over here to excite us for a little bit. Want this over here to excite us for a little bit. And then after a couple of days, it's not satisfying anymore. And he says, we have chosen 
All those things when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Like we, the ignorant child over here making these mud pies in the slums when we could be making sandcastles at the beach. That's what he compares it to. I don't know if you have any context for that, but going to Haiti and experiencing what it's like to see, Tyler, you got to go to that trip, to see children, hardly any clothes on, hardly anything, just flies, muddy water, and a child trying to get a little bit of sip out of that muddy water as you walk by. And he says, that's what we're choosing when we could be choosing this infinite joy and in all this. Our minds are far too easily pleased and focused on the wrong things. Second Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Some of you could probably quote this now because we say this one a lot. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Now if anyone is enfolded into Christ... He has become an entirely new, what? Person. Entirely new. That means all that is related to the old order has vanished. (laughs) Behold, everything is fresh and brand new. And God has made how many things? All things new and reconciled us to Himself and given us a ministry of reconciling others to God. So, if we are looking with the correct lens, we would see that we have become brand new. Instead of looking at our inferiority that we had in Adam, right? And saying, well, I'm just a poor, pitiful sinner saved by grace. And I've told you before, yes, you were. For a nanosecond, you were that. Whenever you were transforming from old to new, from death to life. And in that transition process, in the blink of an eye, you were a poor, pitiful sinner saved by grace. But now you are redeemed. You are full of life. You are full of Christ Jesus. It's not any more separation. In fact, he uses the word here, enfolded into Christ, meaning you have become one. It is a seamless union Paul talks about later. Meaning you can't even separate the two. You have become one with Christ Jesus. And all that old order, it says, has passed away. So if we're still living in the old order, it's because we still are focused on the wrong order. We're still choosing the mud pie, so to speak, whenever we could be building the sandcastle down at the beach. We're choosing that for ourselves. Not because it's a punishment to you. Not because that that's what God wants for you. Or because of your sins. Now you're having to go through that. You just haven't been awakened to truth. He says it's already been done. I've already accomplished it. You just got to be awakened to it. And when you get awakened to it, your new eyes. Now you see completely different. 
Completely different. Look at Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 9. Romans 6, verse 9, he says this. Paul says, And we know that since the anointed one has been, past tense, raised from the dead to die no more, his resurrection life has vanquished what? Death. And its power over him is what? Finished. No more. For by his sacrifice, he died to sin's power. How many times? Once and for all. Not going to happen again. But he now, present tense, not some future tense, right now lives continuously for the Father's pleasure. He lives what? When? Right now, he lives continuously for the Father's pleasure. How does he do that? I thought he died and went to heaven. He's where? He's in us. Continually living for who? The Father's pleasure. But you've got to be awakened to it. So let it be the same way with you, he says. So let it be. Let it means you can restrict it. You see what I'm saying? When he says, so let it, meaning you can contain it. You are a free will person. He's given you free will to say, no, I don't want to do that. He's given you free will in this morning to have all these songs in here to try to take you into a new realm and experience that. Or you could say, no, not for me. He's given you truth here this morning, and it's not my words. Most of everything I've said this morning has been straight out of the Scripture, just me reading it, and He's given you truth, and we can look at the truth, as Paul says, and just walk away like we never saw it, and just forget. Because we go at it half-hearted. Look at what else he says. Verse 10. For by his sacrifice he died to sin's power once for all, and now he lives continuous for the Father's pleasure. So let it be the same way with you, since you are now, right now, not some future tense, not when you die, since you are now joined with him, you must. Listen to this. Listen to the words that Paul is using. Since this has happened, this is what you must do. This is what you must do. You must continually, now look at this word, view. you. Just stop right there and think about how you see yourself. When you look in the mirror, how do you see yourself? Do you look at yourself and see you as Christ sees you? Redeemed. My bride. The one I'm fighting for right now. The one that I chose to die for. The one that I love so passionately and infinitely for. Is that what you see when you look in the mirror? Do When you look in the mirror, do you see the old order has vanished? Or do we constantly come into agreement with, I'm getting older. Uncle Arthur has set in. Is those are the kinds of things that I keep saying? Or do I come into alignment and say, that old order has vanished. Meaning, it's gone. 
When I get a doctor's report, do I agree with the doctor or do I go to the Word and agree with the Holy One? Truth shall set us free. God said, my people are destroyed because they have a lack of knowledge. They don't know. So they're constantly being destroyed by the enemy because they just don't know. Not because they don't have every resource imaginable to defeat the enemy. They just don't even know that they got it. Men in the room, how many of you own a gun? Raise your hand. Okay, we all do. <laughs> Eli's even raised his hand. Right? And then intruder comes in. Are you going to say, hold up, let me go call 911 real quick. If you'll just wait right there, let me call them. They'll be here in a minute and we'll sort this out. He's about to take, plunder, everything that you got. Hide your kid, hide your wife. Like, they doing it all to everybody. And want to take everything you got. One, he's not negotiating. And even though you got a pistol right there in your pocket, you're just going to try to negotiate with some words, or are you going to pull out the resources that you got to take care of the enemy? Which one? We have all the resources. Ephesians says that you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. It means every one of them are at your disposal to bring heaven to earth. Every one of them. And yet we look at the enemy and say, can we just talk about this? Let me go talk to somebody else about this real quick. Let me see what they say about it. You've been given every spiritual blessing. Bring, bring down strongholds to vanquish them. Because most of them are going on in between these two ears. And He's given us the resources. And yet we just want to let the enemy steal, kill, and destroy whatever it is. So let it be the same way with you. Since you are now joined with Him, you must continually view yourself. Not Christ anymore. View yourself now as dead and unresponsive to sin's appeal while living daily. This is not something in, when you die, guys. This is talking about right now while you're alive here on this earth. David says, where would I be if I would not have believed if I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living? He didn't say anything about when he dies. View yourself as dead, unresponsive to sin's appeal while living daily for God's pleasure in union with Jesus, the anointed one. Like you're not even having to do it on your own. We act like we do because we don't know who we are. So we're still choosing the wrong thing because we haven't got this revelation of righteousness that He's in me and I'm in Him. And so we're still choosing to say, I'm weak, I'm defeated. I can't do this. I don't know how much more I can take. And He's given us all the resources to overtake 
not only to overtake, but it says in Romans that we are more than conquerors. Meaning we don't just conquer the territory, we are more than it. We means we take and we establish a new territory. Whenever we misplace or misuse something God has given us, something inferior always grows in its place. I'm going to repeat that again. Whenever we misplace or misuse something God has given us, something inferior always grows in its place. That started in the Garden of Eden. We were to eat of the tree of life. Instead, we ate of something inferior called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's always two trees in the garden. We have those choices every single day of our lives. So if we, in, we feed this inferior revelation of Adam, we cannot fulfill kingdom purposes. And we won't fulfill the kingdom purposes that he has set inside of us. Look at Matthew chapter 11. We've talked about this one before. I just want to remind you of it. Matthew chapter 11 because it's been a while. But Matthew chapter 11, verse 21, Jesus is speaking to these people. And he's talking about, look at all these things that I've done here and brought to this place. In verse 21 of chapter 11, he said, How tragic it will be for the city of Chorazin, and how terrible for the city of, Beth- of Bethsaida. For if the powerful miracles that I performed in these two cities have been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have humbled themselves and repented and turned from their sins. Tyre and Simon will be better off on Judgment Day than you. In Capernaum, do you really think you'll be exalted because of the great miracles I have done there? No, you'll be brought down to the depths of hell because of the rejection of me. For the miracles I worked in your streets were done in Sodom. It would still be standing today. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for the region of Sodom in the day of judgment than it will be for you. So think about that. When he's saying these words like Tyre, Sidon, he's talking about Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah. Even still today when you hear the word Sodom and Gomorrah, most people, even people that don't go to church, know that that was a bad place and it got destroyed. And he's sitting here saying, if I would have been there in that city... They would still be what? This is not even my words, guys. This is Jesus' words himself. He said that city would still be what today? It would still be standing. Because they would have seen the work of God that I was doing. And they would have what? Repented. Meaning they would have changed their thought process to see kingdom on earth. And would still be established to this day. What did he do for us? He put Himself inside of us so that we could have the same thing today. But instead, we look at the top 50 list on the murder capita and we look at places like Chicago. By the way, the last report that I got to look at like that, that they sent um, some data we get to look at sometimes through school. Baton Rouge and New Orleans was higher than Chicago. Did you know that? Yet we see Chicago in the news every day talking about how much more murder and we talk about that mayor, and yet it's in our own backyard. Did you know that? That it was more per capita there than it is Chicago? Like, I thought it was the worst if I watched the news. Do you do a little research? It's in your own backyard. Worse. You know who was growing in that top number? 
Monroe. <laughs> per capita. That's really our backyard. So well, do we just keep talking about how dark the dark is? Because light, when we walk in the room and we turn on the light, doesn't matter how little that light is, it vanquishes the dark. It's gone. So if there is darkness, really whose fault is it? We ain't breaking the light, right? The light has to sh- shine. Otherwise, the darkness is going to overcome it, right? It's in our own backyard. So in other words, we should be doing what he told us to do. So look at John chapter 14. John 14, verse 12, this is what he says should be coming out of us. These people who got this revelation of righteousness, who are manifesting, remember that word, manifesting righteousness here on the earth. John 14, 12, this is Jesus' words for us. I tell you this timeless truth. Think about it. Timeless. He's done what? Said eternity in your hearts. The person who follows me in faith, believing in me, listen, will do. Not maybe, not I hope he does. Will do the same mighty miracles that I do. And our first thought process when I read that word is this. How is that supposed to happen? Are you thinking, Brian, you so big and bad that you could do what Jesus did? Then go out there and perform a miracle for me. And if that's our first thought process, we have not been renewed by the revelation of righteousness yet. You want to know why? Because who's he talking to? He's talking to a group of people that's going to turn and say, go perform a miracle for us when he's already performed a gazillion of them. Right? Like, we can't even, we know that we're not even to the point of renewal in our minds yet because we can't even be tempted like Jesus was yet. How was Jesus tempted? Go look at that Playboy magazine. Is that what Satan said to him in the wilderness? What did he say? What's the first one? Turn that stone into bread. You've been tempted with that one lately? Should I do this or should I not? I mean, I know these people are hungry over here. Should I make this? Well, what's the temptation in that? He's got to listen to the Father. Whatever the Father say to do, do it. Signs and wonders follow those who, Mark says, who believe. Greater things, he says, in the next sentence, they will do. Like we, we're not even to the point that we're even being tempted like Jesus yet. The next thing, what did he say? What is the next thing that Jesus was tempted for in the wilderness? Go levitate and fly, basically, right? You've been tempted with that one lately? Because he says, go cast yourself off of the top of the temple. And watch and see your angels pick you up and keep you from falling. Been tempted with that lately? (laughs) Do you see what I'm saying? How we have focused so much on the inferior 
that we can't even comprehend what I'm trying to say right now. Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says, I'm talking to you about earthly things and you can't even get them. How in the heck am I going to talk to you about spiritual things, heavenly things? Like he wanted to. He wanted so bad to be able to sit down with Nicodemus and show him all these things in the heavenlies. But he couldn't because Nicodemus couldn't get his mind past the earthly things. We're focused on the wrong thing. What did he say back in Romans? In that passage that we just read in Romans 6, whenever you get this revelation, you've got to view. So let yourself view yourself as what he says you are and quit listening to the world. Even religion, quit listening to it too. So then he goes on to say, in that next sentence, as I just said, even greater things you will do. Did that begin to happen with the apostles? Jesus walking through all those people and the lady reaches out and touches his what? Like she's like, if I could just get to it, if I could just get to it, if I could just get to it. She reaches out, touches the hem of his garment. Boom. Healed. Right? So Jesus stops and he's like, somebody touched me. Jesus, you crazy. There's about a million people touching you. He said, no, I felt the power released out of me. She was instantly healed. As according to her faith, she was healed. She knew if I could go and touch him. What did they do? Acts chapter 19. Paul, what do they do with his garments? Ain't nobody trying to come and reach and touch Paul. They take his own garments, cut them up, and send them out. And it's healing people. Greater things than I, you will do. But remember that story I told you a couple weeks ago? For every generation, we were from, to go from glory to glory to glory. But instead, we were like that man that took that 2 by 4 and cut it based off of the last 2 by 4 that I had. And so what we did was cut out a generation based off of the last one, and we get, keep getting about an eighth of an inch off until we're this far off from where we were supposed to be from the very beginning. Right? So I went back and found it because it is something that, uh, that we have talked about um, a lot lately, especially with our kids. And, and Brent even prays in a prayer lately about let, let, our, um, let our ceiling be their floor. But Damon Thompson, back in 2019, you can go back and find it, February of 2019, he did a message on transgenerational consciousness. He always using these big words, and we're just like, what, what are you talking about, right? So I went back and found it, and I wrote down the definition of what he said this is, and I want you to listen. He says, rather than using a single lifetime as a unit of measurement for both planning and success, what if, just what if, we let Yahweh teach us His plan that promotes a way of thinking where you and I begin to make decisions based on the impact those voices will have on future generations. Transgenerational conscience. To where, see, we don't have to come into this building. You remember I talked about this a few weeks ago when I was talking to one of my buddies yesterday and I was telling him, don't despise these small beginnings. You remember we talked about that a few weeks ago. Don't despise the small beginnings. Like when we started, it was just a couple of us in the living room at Brent's house. Don't despise the small beginnings. 
And I'm not talking about numbers in this room. I'm talking about what's happening in the kingdom going outside those walls, right? So I'm talking about kingdom come, not church building be established. You see what I'm saying? Don't, don't mix up those two things. And so when we think about that, when we think about for generations to come, you got to think about people like Jesus who started with 12 people, right? He didn't try to build the next best temple on the block and say, if I could build this next best temple and get everybody to come to my show, then we're going to win the world. No, he knew if I could infuse what I know about the Father and what the Father knows about them inside of them intimately, they're going to rewrite history. And they were able to do what Jesus says here in John chapter 14, that they were able to do even greater things than He did. And it was to continue on from generation to generation because God's kingdom says it goes from glory to glory to glory to glory. Ever what? Increasing. Right? So in Malachi chapter 4 verse 6, it says that I will turn in that day, I will turn the fathers to the sons and the sons to the fathers. But in Malachi chapter 4, 6, it was a prophecy and it also had a warning on it that if you don't do this, if you don't turn to fathers, sons to fathers and fathers to sons, then there's going to be something terrible to happen on the land. It also matches up with Amos 8 verse 11. Amos 8 verse 11 says if this happens, it will be a famine of the Word of God. That there will be, in other words, a silence. So, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament that we have, right? What happened after that? How many prophets did we have after that? Until Jesus comes. Until John the Baptist comes. Zero. There was 400 years of silence from prophets. Now, I don't mean necessarily that God just quit. But He gave them this warning. Until this prophet comes, actually, in the chapter before that, Malachi chapter 3, He says a messenger, a messenger will make a way. A messenger will make a way. And then Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, John the Baptist was that messenger that Amos was talking about, that Amos and Malachi was talking about that will come. John the Baptist was here in the spirit of Elijah saying, make a way, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus confirmed it and says, yes. Well, that 400 years of silence is done saying now we can enter into this what? Fathers turning to sons and sons turning to fathers. In that verse that we just read earlier, what did it say? Whatever he was talking about Sodom and Gomorrah and Tyre and Sidon. He says, but you have done what? You've rejected me. They were at a place where they could have set this land free. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? They could have established right then fathers turning to sons, sons turning to fathers, but they rejected it. The only true ones that really accepted it at that time was those 12, really just 11. And he began to work with those 11. <laughs> work with all, even the 12. He just rejected it. And he just began to work in them and show them patiently, showing them who they really were and what was really available.
that the kingdom of God really was at hand, that it really was within them. And so we have the opportunity now, instead of every generation now wants to look at what was Papa and, and, and Nana's church like, either I'm going to be like that and I'm going to stay there, or some generations will say, well, I didn't like the way Papa and Nana did it, so we're just going to build our own church. And then let's just establish a new, we need to update, you know, the building, the way it looks. We've got to get more hip and all this kind of stuff, and we'll attract all the people. But yet we still see darkness everywhere. So that hasn't changed anything for us. But instead, what the Father is looking for is for a group of people. And it doesn't have to be a lot. It doesn't have to be a lot. What did Moses do? For 80 years by himself built a boat that everybody ridiculed him about and only seven believed him enough to get on that thing with him. And they saved the whole world. Jesus with 11. So it doesn't have, it's not about numbers. It's about transgenerational consciousness that where we are investing in these little babies to teach them who they are now so that whenever they hear the word that you're not good enough, it can't even, they can't even comprehend that kind of language. Like it just bounces off of them because they're, they're established already. You see, for a lot of us in this room, we're having to deconstruct a lot of stuff that we were taught growing up, even through church. And then get reestablished onto the rock, the real rock, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Right? And so when we are getting reestablished on this rock, then we are in turn fathers turning to sons. And then sons turning to fathers. You know what I saw in my house this week? That very example. See, yesterday when we got that text, we said, all right, let's stop what we're doing. Let's pray for life. Every one of them. Every kid prayed. Including Armani. Right? She's three. But what's more beautiful to me was the beginning of the week without prompting, without saying this person's sick, a three-year-old in my house begins to say, I love Miss Rachel and I need Miss Rachel to be in my life. Right? And, and Miss Rachel need to be walking around. She only be sitting down. And she had a million questions about Miss Rachel during that day. So without prompting that night, she began to pray for Miss Rachel. And then Miss Rachel was able to get up and she's able to move. She's able to have good times. Right? The simple prayer of a child. Simple faith of a child. But where, son, where, where, where fathers are investing in sons, and sons are now investing in fathers. And what happens is, is a generation begins to build and it begins to go from glory to glory to glory, from generation to generation to generation. So as I'm studying this, I come across this story that I don't know how I've missed. I thought it was very interesting because two weeks ago, for the first time in a vision, I saw a butterfly, this purple butterfly. And it took me to this place where I was like, oh, like, never seen anything like this before or happen in the spiritual realm. 
And I almost didn't mention it, but then Mandy hadn't seen a lot of those visions, and so whenever I say I see a butterfly, she's like, what the heck, because I saw a butterfly tonight too. And so it was like opening a door for her and confirmation for me. But in the middle of studying this week, I come across a story about the monarch butterfly. And it's like two million of them start in, in Mexico, and they are instinctively on the inside made that whenever they're born to go north until they reach Canada. Like that is what they're supposed to do. But not one of them, not one of them can ever make it to Canada from Mexico to Canada. It takes four generations to make it to the spot. Four. So what happens is that butterfly begins to take off and it goes as far as it can go. And it lays its eggs. When it lays its eggs, it dies. Those eggs become caterpillars. Who then have to get shaped and molded and transformed in who they were supposed to be from the very beginning in a cocoon when they're wrapped up in that secret place. And when they're wrapped up in that secret place, they get their transformation and their identity of who they were meant to be from the very beginning and they begin to bust out of that cocoon and they go due north. And that generation goes as far as it can go and lays those eggs and it passes away and it does the same thing, caterpillars, cocoon to butterfly and one more generation does the same thing and they reach Canada. They follow them. I'm wondering, man, we were talking about this this morning. I'm wondering. I believe we're so close for the generations that are going to come up and the sons of God are going to rise up and take their place and His kingdom is going to be established here on this earth. But it's got to start in a place like this where some simple people just begin to believe what His Word says. And maybe, just maybe, maybe, just maybe, either us in this room or our children in this room or at least the very least, my great-grandchildren will see it established here on this earth. I'm believing for it. I'm believing for it. You know, Second Peter chapter 3, talks about this it says that you can speed up the day of the Lord did you know that but it ain't gonna happen by keep doing the same old same old and us keep getting farther and further from this declaration of what Jesus said about us forget modern day Christianity forget Americanized Christianity and just get back to what Jesus was saying and if we can get established on that rock and that revelation of Jesus Christ I believe we'll see it I believe we'll see it so for a moment let's just close our eyes for a second and I want you to see if you can just imagine that you are that butterfly But first, you were established as a caterpillar. 
Remember that psalm verse, just a worm? Yeah, you were. But you got enveloped with Holy Ghost. And He began to reshape you. For He said all the old things have been passed away. The old order has been passed away. And behold, all things have been branded. And you busted out. It's time to break completely out of that cocoon and fly. Do north. Be released. Be released into the kingdom. Your destiny. What He's already spoken over you. And we decree and we declare that we're part of a generation that's going to establish a new thing here on this earth. To the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and of His Christ. I want you to just think for a minute. How much time and energy do you spend on that old order? The old order that he said is gone. How much time and energy do you spend on the old order? Versus how much time and energy you spend on the new order that He established in you already. Are you tired? Are you tired of trying? Are you tired of striving? Are you tired of just simply getting by? Paul says that one that gets the revelation of this righteousness, this righteousness that we're talking about, will, 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 not maybe, will reign in life. I believe he's establishing in this room a generation who's not going to back down. A generation where his kingdom will come and will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Maybe you just can't see that yet. That's okay. You keep getting in that truth. You're going to see it. And maybe you just can't see it yet this morning and you're just struggling. You need somebody to come pray with you. Just raise your hand. We'll have somebody come pray with you. So if that's you, raise your hand. Just need somebody to pray with you. Go in battle with you.
while your eyes are still closed, I want you to picture yourself standing up into the brightest light you can imagine. On the count of three. One, two, three. Stand. Stand up into that light. Just picture yourself standing up. So physically, prophetically, go ahead and stand with your eyes closed, picturing yourself into the most marvelous light you've ever seen. And he says, I have taken you from darkness and placed you in marvelous light. Nothing hidden. Firmly established in Him. All the old is past. Behold all things brand new. So that's why you need to picture yourself as you go out this door today. And every day you wake up this week, I want you to look in that mirror and see yourself in the new order. And every time that creeps up on you, that old order. You don't even really have to tell it what to do. I just need you to go get in more truth. The more you get back into that truth, the other things going to flee because you submit yourself unto God and He will flee, it says. So you don't have to spend all your time chasing off the enemy. You just need to spend more time getting into truth. you'll be established for generations to come. May the Lord bless you. Make His face shine upon you. You are His and He is yours. Be blessed. Love you guys. Have a good week.